just come before you in your presence and just worship you, Lord, and that you, Lord, hear that, Lord, it's pleasing to you, God, that you hear our prayers, Lord. God, thank you for how great you are. We just lift up this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I am Tony. I am one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. Um, I was formerly of the youth ministry, uh, now looking more towards college age and um, some other young age things. Um, so hopefully we get to know each other. If you're uh, a young adult, I know in a church like this, I might have to specify that a young adult um, is kind of, we're thinking maybe like 18 to 28, so sorry if that's offensive and you felt like you were still young. I'm going to be 32 myself, so I'm out of that age group, but um, just to give you guys a heads up, so um, my wife is here in the front row, Melissa, so if you're a young adult lady, uh, come say hello to her. If you're a guy, come say hi to me or whatever. Um, we have, we usually don't do announcements, but we do have a kind of a special need that um, you guys can meet and still be a part of Wednesday night service. Uh, Awana, as you know, um, or probably most of you know, is going on again, and um, they have a need for people to come and just listen to these kids recite their verses. They have um, most of their teacher spots all covered and, and a lot of these activities and all the stuff that goes into it um, all covered, but they just need some people to come and um, you don't have to memorize the verses yourself, so if you're like feeling like, oh shoot, like a seven-year-old might know this verse better than me, I'm there with you on some of that stuff. I have a horrible memory, but you get all the answers. You just check them um, for about 30 minutes before service, so 6.15, probably about 6.40. Um, you can just show up there, and then you can still come over here and be a part of this. Um, so it's a great way to volunteer. If you'd like to do that, I think that Audrey will be in the uh, foyer there to give you some more information about how you can do that, or you can uh, email Celeste at ccsurprise.org, or uh, just asking the leadership, and we'll get you in touch with the right people. So um, with that, we are going to be um, obviously doing a topical message tonight, and I've titled it, What Moves You? What Moves You? And, you know, people are moved by a lot of different things, right? A, a dramatic movie might move us to tears. Uh, a football game might move us to joy or anger, uh, depending on whether or not you're a Cardinals fan. I'm a 49ers fan, so yeah. It's all right. We got five. <laughs> um, we get moved by songs, Right? That can really, like, I mean, some people turn on, like, loud music because they, like, need to get some stuff done and you get all, like, amped up and, you know, do that or turn on, like, slow music. You know, you put on classical music because it's supposed to make your kids smarter or whatever kinds of things we do, right? It can cause us to have anger or joy or even move us physically, right, to dance or something like that. If you saw me dance, it would probably move you to tears. But there's a lot of things that, that move people, and Pastor Brett spoke last weekend. He, he spoke about one of the things being that Jesus was moved by compassion. He was moved by his compassion for others. 
And I believe the Holy Spirit put that compassion deep within, but we distinctly see that uh, theme throughout. We often see it says that Jesus was moved with compassion as the beginning part of that uh, next act or that miracle or whatever it might be. Uh, specifically, uh, just one we'll touch on in verses is Matthew 9, 35 through 37. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So let's pray and then we'll continue on. Lord God, again, um, Lord, I ask that you would just anoint this message, God, Lord, that you would speak deep to the hearts of each and every person here, Lord, including myself, Lord, I know that I so much struggle with compassion, Lord, and Lord, unconditional compassion, Lord, the compassion that you've showed us, Lord. So I pray now you would just speak that into our lives, Lord, that you would speak uh, through me in a powerful way, Lord, that goes beyond my ability uh, to speak and goes beyond our ability to hear, Lord. So we just ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see this uh, distinct, again, phrase here that it says he felt compassion for these people because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And we see this, again, many other times, and I'll just kind of roughly reference them, but he was moved by compassion um, on those who were affected by sickness. He was moved by compassion on those who were both spiritually and physically hungry. He was moved by compassion on men who wanted to see, yet were blind. Jesus was moved by compassion on the, uh, on the widow who had lost her only son. He was moved by compassion on the one who owed a debt that he could not repay in the parable. The father was moved by compassion when his prodigal son returned home to his father's house. So that phrase moved, or he, he felt compassion, talks about being deeply moved from the inside. It speaks of from the bowels, you know, just this like deep inner movement. Um, and then the compassion, one definition I found was sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with the desire to alleviate it. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. That's important, that end part of that phrase, because I think we've all felt pity for somebody without being moved to compassion. We felt bad for someone and even maybe been thankful to the Lord, said, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not in that place. Um, but compassion is something that, that causes us to move and give us the desire to alleviate whatever the problem is. I found this uh, definition of mercy, a definition of mercy, that I just thought was great with this. It was compassion for the miserable. Compassion for the miserable. I, mean, I just think that's like an amazing definition of what mercy is. We see that God had mercy towards us. It's like, man, we were, we were miserable. And he moved in mercy, moved in compassion. So, the privilege of compassion is, is really an awesome thing because compassion can only be applied to other people. We cannot have compassion on ourselves. It is actually only able to be applied to others. And it's a spark that leads us to seek opportunities to do ministry, 
a spark that, that causes us to say, I need to go further. And again, Jesus, being the Son of God, we see he was moved by compassion. There's power in that. So with that in mind, I'd like to have us turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Starting in verse 10. Jonah 3.10, When God saw there the people of Nineveh's deeds, that they turned away from their wickedness, then God relented concerning the calamity which he declared would he, he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, the one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head and to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day and attacked it, and the plant uh, attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, "Death is better to me than life." Then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry, even to death. The Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? So, we, see, we all know and, and see, uh, it mentioned, I think, in chapter, the beginning of chapter 3, that Nineveh was a wicked, wicked city. And um, as you would imagine, Jonah had, had a horrible discomfort in his soul about what God had asked him to do. He looked at the people around him, and, and, and he probably knew Lord, you're right. What you're asking me to do is good. But when he looked at the people, as he, as he thought about, really, in this case, the compassion of God, he got worried. I mean, it's amazing to think that we would ever get worried about how great God is, about how vast his love is. But as much as we look at Jonah and see this guy that's just not quite getting it, I think we've probably all been there before. 
we've all probably been there and almost been worried that the Lord might save, been worried that the Lord might show his compassion. I'm not talking about everybody. I think if we're Christians, if we're believers, that we're, we, we understand that God wants to see people come to salvation. As a group, we, I think we all have a great peace about that. I hope that we do. But I think there's oftentimes there's certain people groups, there's certain neighbors, there's people in our life that we just kind of think, Lord, I, I desire justice. And I know I've struggled with that at times in looking and saying, Lord, it's good that there's judgment because I, I found some people that need it. And we struggle with, with that. And, and this is Jonah. I think sometimes we disconnect from Jonah. Like this was like, you know, this, this guy who was just rebellious, but, but God made him go. And this is, this is a very real struggle, especially in our culture right now. There's this struggle for us to display true compassion. This culture was violent, impure, selfish, and far from God. But Jonah had two ways to respond, and we have two ways we can respond as well. We can see an offense that's not deserving of compassion. We can see just the offense that's there, or we can see an opportunity for us to be moved by compassion into a work that God can use to draw people to himself. We have those choices to make. Jonah saw a city full of people that were acting in an impure way. He looked around at the city, he saw this city is wicked, it's evil, there are things that are wrong here, and not only are they displeasing in God's sight, but I can't stand the sight of them either. And so here he is with this problem, and, he, and he's probably thinking, somewhat rightly, that, Lord, this, this is wrong, and, and this is against you, which was correct. However, the Lord had commanded him and said, but I, go, I desire to have compassion. And then again, we see that Jonah's worry is, and he, he expresses it to the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm afraid because you're compassionate, because you're good, because you're forgiving. He was fearful of that. He saw it as an offense that needed a healthy dose of justice to be served to the people. They were undeserving of his or the Lord's compassion in his perspective. Exodus 33, 18 and 19 says, Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I show compassion. God says, basically, to sum it up, I could do whatever I want. And we sometimes have a hard time with that. Again, to know that, that God is, is sovereign and, and he sees all things and he has control over things and, and we don't. And that he has a plan and sometimes it's not our plan. Oftentimes it's not the way we might map it out. And that struggle 
that we have, but God says, look, I will show compassion on whom I show compassion. But are we critical about what we can observe about people on the outside? This is something God's spoken to me a lot, just personally, because there's a, a danger that we fall into oftentimes. We can look at people and probably, for the most part, sum up a fair amount of their character. We probably, for the most part, some of us are gifted more than others at this, but for the most part, a lot of times we can look at people and interact with them a little bit, and we give a lot of body language and signals and things that can show us a lot about somebody quickly. That's not the whole story. It's not a big enough picture, but we can grasp a pretty good idea uh, about a first impression, and especially after a few repeated ones. However, there's something deeper that lies in each and every one of us, right? There's something that, that, that goes beyond what we all can see, right? There's somebody's upbringing that we don't know about. We can't truly understand. Yes, we see some behavior type things or some attitude type things that come out as we look at those things. And, say, and we probably can, can, again, rightly say there's some immaturity issues here or, or there's, some, there's a, a propensity to make bad decisions here. And again, though, we don't understand truly where's this person coming from? The one that I struggle with is how far has this person come? Because I grew up in, and I was very blessed. I grew up in a Christian home. I do a lot of stupid things, and I've sinned just as much as the rest of us. However, my sins probably don't look as ugly as some other people's. And I don't say that to make myself look good or anything like that. The reality is some people's sins are uglier than others. Some people's sins are obnoxious, not necessarily to the Lord, but it might still be sin, but some of them just comes out, right? You know, somebody's drunk and at a bar and they come out and they're screaming and being over the top and just making a whole big thing. It's like, oh my gosh, that's disgusting. But if we lie to our boss or are deceitful to a friend we tend to, to think, well, you know. So there's, there is this issue there that, again, we can observe and, and look at people and, and miss the fact that there's more going on than, than we can truly see. The Lord said to Jonah, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and and left hand, as well as many animals. So one commentary said, possibly the best understanding of this text is to recognize that the Lord was referring to an entire city of morally and ethically naive, though not morally innocent, individuals. So he's saying what they were doing wasn't okay just because they didn't understand it totally. And again, this is just one commentary's kind of take on what's going on. But 
they were somewhat naive. I mean, these guys had no clue what they were doing. We can kind of see as well from the way they repent that they're really not totally sure about what they're doing, but they hear Jonah come in with this message, and they're like, let's just repent that maybe God would withhold what this guy just said, and they're probably still trying to figure out what all is, who this God is totally, and, and the gravity of how far off they were. What Jonah had noticed and said, man, these guys are wicked beyond belief. They may not have known that on on their scale was probably far different because they did some horrible, ruthless things in in that particular group of people. But the remedy for the lack of compassion that we can have is to ask the Lord to show us, Lord, who do you have compassion for? Who do you desire to show your compassion for? And help me to catch that. Help me to be moved by that same compassion that moves you, that same compassion that moved Jesus. Help me to be moved that same way. As I was thinking about this study and compassion, I thought of uh, a song. It's not really old. It's not in circulation as much now, but you probably would remember it. It's called uh, Hosanna. And it says, I see the king of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over all our sin. The people sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. I see a near revival stirring as we pray and seek. We are on our knees. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. Show me how to love like you've loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours, everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. So that song is, is, is excited for revival in a generation. And I pray that we are excited that as dark as sometimes things look, that there would be revival, that we would have our hope set on that. And this song is, is speaking of that. But notice what the focus in this song is. The person who's singing, who wrote this song, says, I'm on my knees praying. Heal my heart. Help me to see what only you can show me, Lord. Show me how to love others the way that you love me. Make me about your kingdom and your work. Break my heart. Give me compassion for, for the things that break your heart, that stir you to compassion. Hosanna there says, it means save now or, or save we pray. And I was thinking about that, and I'm thinking, man, Hosanna, right? Save now. I, man, when I say save now, Lord, am I saying, Lord, save me from all the mess going on around me? Or am I saying, Lord, in the midst of the mess around me, save them? Because I think sometimes we're like, Lord, come back soon because this is horrible and we don't want to be a part of this. We want to be in your kingdom. And, and rightly so, we should desire that. We see Paul, he has this like 
struggle. He's like, I don't want to be here. I want to be in heaven with the Lord. That would be awesome. But at the same time, I want to be here because there's work to be done. And so we have to have that heart that, that Lord, we're here and we want to see revival. We want to see people saved. Again, I love this because their heart is for this revival and salvation, but they realize that their heart is a key component. Them personally, they are a key component of this revival taking place. They ask that the Lord would change them personally. Right? Most of the time, I do it all the time. My wife's here, but she knows, you know, and she probably does it with me, and we all do it with each other if you're married, right? You pray, Lord, would you help my spouse realize the error of their way? Right? And how often does the Lord show us that we are the problem? Right? As we're asking, Lord, would you just kind of show me where they kind of messed it up? Because obviously, and and, and at that moment, it's like comes in a flood, and it's like, you're, you're wrong. And I'm like, oh, Lord, but it has to be somebody else's fault, right? And when we look at the lack of revival, don't we often think, Lord, it has to be someone else's fault? Lord, it, it's, these, it's the schools. They took God out of the schools. It's their fault. It, if, if that didn't happen, you know, things would be different. If you know, it's this, this marriage thing. They, they've messed up marriage, and so it's just declining. How can we have revival when the world is, has messed everything up? And our prayer should be, Lord, things are, yeah, they look pretty bad, but you are a powerful God, and you can do whatever you want. I pray that you would display the kind of compassion on this culture, on the people around us that Jonah asked that you, were, you wouldn't show because he was afraid of how great it would be that we would ask for that. Again, in this song, we see them, they're, they're praying. They're, it says we're on our knees. We, we, we have to seek the Lord. And, you know, are we praying as a body of Christ? The answer is yes. We pray on the first Sunday of the month. Every first Sunday of the month, Sunday night, we're in here, and we pray as a congregation. We probably don't fill up more than three rows. There's more of you in this room than are in that prayer meeting, and I just say that as a challenge. If half of this group came, it would be bigger. We have a group on Saturday night. We meet twice on Sundays. Brett has to deal with all the complaints he gets from this little challenge, but the reality is we shouldn't be able to fit enough people in here for prayer nights. We shouldn't because we have, we have three or four times as many people as our chairs in here. And guys, it is important that we are in prayer. I challenge you to be there. I, I know that for a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of awkward things and public prayer is I'll be honest, it's weird sometimes. It's, it's scary. It's different. It's out of our comfort zone. It, it's hard for us to pray with our kids or our spouses at times because prayer is vulnerable. 
But it also brings unity because there's something special that happens when we expose ourselves and say, you know what, I'm just going to throw my heart out there and other people are going to hear it, but we don't know what the Lord might do with that. And these people, again, in the song, they're saying, Lord, we want to see something happen. We want to see revival. We want to see you do something amazing. Lord, we, we need to pray. We need to ask for this. Again, I encourage you to be a part of that prayer night. Again, are we praying that God would fix the culture? Or are we praying that God would show us what he wants us to do? That he would give us compassion that would move us to begin that revival? I pray that God would break me in that area. That I would start to pray more for myself and how God would use me than I would pray that God would fix all the people around me. There are people who are acting out from, from physical, sexual, emotional abuse in ways that are far from pleasing to God. There's no doubt about that. There are people that have been made to feel that, that the way that they feel they are made in the world is a right way to walk. I met with with a homosexual man in my office a couple of weeks ago, and, and he wasn't arguing science with me. He said, I feel like I was born this way. And you know what? I, I had compassion for that because I was thinking, it's how he feels. That's, that's all he knows. I, I don't agree. But he, he was struggling, and he was being honest, and he's trying to, like, talk about God, and there was a problem there because he feels this way, and, and there's a separation because he says, I feel like I've been made this way. My, my mom told me that I was made this way. She knew from a young age, he told me. I thought, man, how sad. He didn't, he didn't even have the ability to choose, most likely, what he may or may not have felt because somebody already told him, I'm pretty sure that this is how you, and somebody he loved that was a strong influence in his life. People are telling young people in our culture. This is normal. There's nothing wrong. You don't need to think about it. Just go for it. People who have inherited addictions that they can't overcome by their own strength or by the methods of the world. And the things, again, that these people are doing aren't excusable by any means. They, they need to be dealt with, but we must be moved by compassion as we look to deal with these things that are going on. Because so often we, we are quick to show people the error of their ways. To, to say, don't, what's wrong with you? Don't you see what, what God's word says and you're living the opposite of that and you failed. So are you going to deal with this, this or what? Like you need to repent and figure it out and and. Again, if anybody had the right to do something like that, it was Jesus. He could have just been, I mean, if anybody should have been so direct and to the point, it should have been Jesus. He shouldn't have been talking about water with the woman at the well. He should have been like, hey, you're sleeping around. There's a problem between you and God. Are you going to deal with it or what? That's how Jesus probably should have or, or, or had the right to go about his business. But we see Jesus 
setting the tone the same way the Father would deal with it. And the way he deals with us and the way we are called to deal with others was through compassion. Jesus' goal in life was not to prove other people wrong. In fact, the people he dealt with the most harshly were the people who were running around telling people they're wrong. And that, oh, you broke this law and that law and this law. Those are the people he dealt the most harshly with. He set a a tone, an example of love, of compassion. Again, the world around us is, is going through difficult things. It's hard to, to sit in a room with somebody that says, like, I feel like I've been made with an attraction towards the same sex. I cannot sympathize. I, I can't get there. I, I, I've never had that struggle. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that in a negative way, but I, I just can't mentally understand that. But I can have a compassion for that person and a love and and deal with what's going on in their life and still show compassion and point them to Christ. Again, we also have the opportunity, though, to, again, be moved by compassion to a work that God can use to draw people to himself. God can use us when we're moved by compassion to be involved in, in a work that's amazing and and powerful that breaks down barriers because of that love, that compassion that goes on. The difference between Jonah and the Lord was the Lord saw this as an opportunity for people to repent and come to him. The Lord thought, man, these guys, they're so messed up. Jonah, we agree on that. These guys are messed up. They are so messed up, if I show them, they're going to they're gonna figure it out and they're going to repent. The Lord sees this as an opportunity. Jonah says, these guys are too far gone. What's the point? Why waste our time? And, and again, he was scared that deep down in his soul that the Lord might just prove him wrong, though, which he did was that his compassion would still extend when they repented. And so they saw this in two different ways. Jonah was ultimately willing to obey God, but his heart was, was far from in line with God's heart in what was taking place. What Jonah truly failed to see was God's compassion on himself. Right? We really kind of sometimes miss that kind of theme that's going on in this book. We see Jonah, this prophet who's like running away, and we see, you know, the parallels of Jonah in the belly of the whale three days and Christ and, you know, all these things. And it's an awesome book, but we sometimes realize that Jonah, he needed just as much compassion as the Ninevites did. Right? There he is. He's sinking into the vast ocean as they've thrown him overboard and said, dude, you're, you're destroying all of us, right? You're going to bring calamity on every single person on the ship. And so they toss him off. He says, yeah, get rid of me. Uh, just let me sink to the bottom. But God, God doesn't need Jonah, right? There's, 
God, I'll have somebody else go march in the city and tell him. God doesn't need Jonah. God uses Jonah, and God has compassion on Jonah. He sends a fish, a whale, and he swallows him up. That was compassion for a man who was in direct rebellion. Right? There was wicked, ugly rebellion of the Ninevites, and there was wicked, prideful rebellion of Jonah. It says that the Ninevites, again, we don't know exactly, but they may have been somewhat unsure about how much they were sinning against Yahweh, against the God of Israel. They, they may not have totally known. Jonah knew exactly what he's doing. God says, go there, and he goes, no. And then he thought he could hide from him on a ship and all this stuff. And Jonah is running away again, and God was moved by compassion to give him another chance. In all that, the point being that we, to be moved by compassion, to be people of compassion, must be aware of God's great compassion on us, even while we're still sinners. In Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We cannot forget that all sin causes separation from God and that we are all, need, all in need of, of salvation, which comes only through faith in Christ Jesus who died for our sins, that by his blood we would have received the forgiveness that brought us into the fold of God. It's only when we forget that do we begin to lack compassion when we start to remember like how many Sundays in a row we've been or how many you know, times we helped in children's ministry or greeted at the door or whatever it might be, those things are great. And we are so thankful and God is able to use that. But at some point, if we're not careful, if we're not in daily devotion, if we're not in communion with the Lord saying, Lord, I'm not any better. You're making me more and more into your image so long as I'm obedient and I'm seeking you out, but I'm not better. I needed the same salvation that every single other person needed. And we have to be careful that we don't look at the starting line as the measuring post for where we will finish. Because I was blessed, again, to start in a home that was Christian. I mean, I couldn't imagine if, if I was somebody else who, who didn't have that opportunity, if I didn't get that, that benefit of, of having a, a starting line that was closer, that, that I was raised in God's Word, that I was raised with certain values and morals that, again, were, were biblically correct, and that somebody who did not receive that should be looked at, again, in a way that is looked at as a disadvantage in our eyes, as like a disqualification. We see the Lord Jesus even speak well of, of Nineveh as he's talking. He says, look, if Nineveh would have seen the things that you guys have seen, they would have repented like quick, right? He's saying, you guys... You guys are raised with this. 
You've been waiting for the Messiah, and here you are rejecting. And here, if we had a wicked nation like Nineveh, they would have repented. But again, we have to be careful that we don't lose that compassion, and it's easy to lose. In our culture, it's easy to lose compassion. We, we, I don't know, maybe it's not normal, but I purposely turn it off. Like, when there's something, you know, maybe I'm kind of a wimp, I don't know, but like, I, you know, I watch things and I almost want to cry, but I'm like, nobody can see me cry. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure this tear stays in my eye, you know, and the emotion's there, but it's like, I've got to hold it, right? We've seen all the crying babies in Africa and all the places that are hungry and their bellies are out and all that stuff. And it's like, it's almost so overwhelming that we, again, maybe it's just me, but some of us try to, I think, tune that out because it's like, I can't deal with how much compassion is necessary in the world. And so I kind of got to shut down to that a little bit. And we heard things. I don't, again, I don't know. Maybe I grew up in a weird place or a weird church, but, you know, we started hearing things in, in church. It's like, you know, uh, you should never give money to homeless people because most likely you're going to use it on drugs and alcohol and this and that. And you know what? Yes, there's some wisdom in, in being thoughtful and mindful of those things, but what a lot of those things have done is started to say, you know what? There's probably a reason why they're homeless. And again, I'll be honest, I've had that thought. We don't have to raise our hands and say if anybody in here has had that thought. But we've had, all of us, those things that have been, again, you know, difficult that we look at and say, do they really deserve compassion? And again, we have to be so careful that we don't forget, that we don't misunderstand what moved God to meet us. The last kind of story I want to touch on is Paul. And he had an opportunity as he came into Athens and was looking around at the culture. And it says that as he was doing this uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, it says, Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was observing the city full of idols. So that word provoked means that he was stirred up. It can mean uh, a good or a bad stirring. Acts 17 Verse 22 and 23, a couple of verses down. <clears throat> so Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the object of, objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. There, these idols of worship could have enraged Paul. He could have came in the city and just been like angry and just, here's this culture. There's just blatant idol worship just everywhere you look. Just idol, 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 idol. Look, they even have an idol to nobody. I mean, can you imagine an idol to nothing? To, to no one, to maybe there's one we forgot. And he just sees this culture is just all about idol worship, and they're totally missing it. And he could have responded 
in a style like Jonah, but I personally believe Paul was provoked. He, he stirred up to think, right? He could have just been provoked, and it could have been positive or negative, and he could have just, you know, made, had a reaction. But again, in, in my opinion, I think he was then moved for compassion for this people. I think he looked around, and he saw all these idols, and yes, some part of him stirred up, and there was probably part of that that got frustrated, and what's wrong with people in the world today? Like some of us say, man, what has our culture come to? But Paul was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I believe, like I said, he was moved with compassion and he looks at that idol and I think his heart just broke. I think he looked at this idol and thought, man, these guys don't, they don't even know who to worship. They don't, they don't know God. And again, he had this compassion that for many people could be just this, look what's wrong with this culture. Look what's wrong with these people. Look how far they've missed it. And yet Paul here is like, man, I want to tell you guys something. This is exciting stuff, right? He, he, he probably livens up and brightens up. He's like, guys, there's a God that you're worshiping and you don't even, you don't even know him yet. And he's better than all the other idols that you've been worshiping. You've been missing out. There, there's a God that actually can make a difference. There's a God that, that isn't made with human hands. Right? And he begins to talk to them and proclaim to, me, to them the gospel. And again, he, he's excited because he's like got this compassion and it's moved him. And it's moved him in a way that I think his eyes lit up and he's like, Lord, that's the way in. Right? I mean, who on their first time reading that thinks that, that Paul's going to compliment them? He sees a bunch of idols and he's stirred up. This is the Christian murderer, right? He's capable of violence. And, and, and here he is and he's like, oh Lord, this is exciting. People could get saved today. There's a way in. It's compassion. It's, it's bringing them the love of God. And again, this is a beautiful response that we can also learn from. When we experience people living lifestyles in contrary to the word of God, when, we, when people's sinful actions stir something up in us, will we ask God to help us be moved by his compassion? Because there's things that, that like I said, they stir us up. And there's nothing innately wrong with that, like, oh, Lord, this is wrong. This isn't right. Because that's exactly what happened to, to Paul. But it's that next step. So we go with that and, and, and say, Lord, please, please give me your compassion. Break me down before I like walk into a room and proclaim the things that I would proclaim. Break me down and show me the things that you would have me say in a humble spirit. That's a hard thing to do. You know, the reason that this is on my heart is because we are right now very lost as a nation, but we're also very lost as, as a capital C church. The, the church is, knows like we're supposed to do something. Something is supposed to happen. 
we were talking in our staff meeting the other day, this church, and again, not to knock this church, I believe in the context of this, there was a pastor, and he was moved by compassion. I just don't think he followed up with the Holy Spirit. But they said, you know what? Our, our church is, is, we're missing out on ministering to these homosexuals. We're, we're missing out on it. And so we will marry them. We will begin to perform marriages for this group of people. And again, was there some kind of compassionate move that said, I want to reach out to these people? Some kind of pure motive that was there? Yeah, I, I believe something originated from a proper place. But again, good ideas in our hands aren't usually so good. And as a culture and as, as a church right now, we, we have a lot of stuff going on and we are in a difficult place of, Lord, what steps do we take? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to act? And again, we have to act in compassion, but we also have to walk in the Spirit because there's a lot of work to be done. Just talking about our government and talking about this gay marriage thing and talking about whatever, that doesn't do anything. If anything, it might just harden our hearts a little bit more. But there's ministry to be done. The, the, the people right now that are in homosexuality, man, most of them are, are, are very much ready to talk and to share. Again, if it's to somebody who says, I'll listen. And, and I mean, the, the person I met with in my office, I told him straight up what, what was going on. I was like, look, uh, have you read the Bible? He's like, yeah, I've read it. So you know there's a problem, right? I mean, we don't have to, like, beat around the bush. But I told him, I totally, I'm sorry that you're you're struggling with this. The same way I'd be sorry with someone who's struggling with alcohol or or struggling with some kind of other perversion of life. But he he was willing to talk. I think that we'll find that most people that are walking in sin are, are willing to at least talk when we're moved by compassion, when we come in in the Spirit. Again, I would challenge us. Are we ministering to more people than we complain about? Are we, how many times have we made a comment that says, oh, this homosexuality thing, and how many homosexuals have we ministered to? How many people are we going out and saying, Lord, I want to be a part of, of what you're going to do in this, this revival that can take place. And what I, I'm not going to worry about the things that I see. I'm going to walk by faith and, and trust that you're going to do something amazing, that something awesome is coming, and I want to be a part of it. We can worry about whether or not people deserve compassion or we can respond to the compassion that the Spirit has put in us and say, Lord, show me now. Where do I go with this? What do I do? We see Jesus' ministry, powerful ministry, compassion. I mean, it's, um, it's amazing how we try these other methods of, you know, I'm just going to run up to this guy and like rebuke you in the name of the Lord and And we see Jesus, he's patient, and he listens, and he's talking with people, and he's having dinner with the sinners. Well, I don't want those sinners at my house to, like, influence my kids and tell them stuff, and 
Guys, we have opportunities, and we need to use Jesus as, as our model. Again, move by compassion, because as I said at the beginning, we're all moved by something. We're, we're all move because of whatever. If it's a crusade, some of us will say, yeah, we got to just knock everything out in our path. Or we can have a movement of love and compassion and model what Christ's ministry looked like and see where that takes us. So in the quiet of your heart, as we all leave in a few minutes, I, I pray that you would just ask that simple question. It's something I've had to ask myself. Lord, what, what moves me? What, what makes me get ready to take that step? What, what causes me to, to step out and do ministry? Is it frustration? Is it anger? Is it my own selfish passions? Or is it the Spirit of God who's moved me into compassion to say, look, I put this before you. Love these people. Do ministry. Let's pray. Lord God, again, I, I pray, Lord, I know that this is a, a heavy kind of thing. Lord, I know, Lord, it's, it's hard to discuss some of these things. Lord God, I ask that you would, Lord, move in a mighty way, though, in our hearts. Lord, we need a change, God. We need to be moved in the way, Lord, that, that you're moved. Uh, Lord, the ways, the methods of the world, God, are not sufficient for us to do ministry. Lord, they're not effective. God, we need your Holy Spirit, God, and we need your compassion for a generation, Lord, that is wicked. Father, I pray that you again, your Holy Spirit, would speak to each and every person here, Lord, that we would step out in faith in new and exciting ways, that like Paul, Lord, we would see, Lord, these, these negative things around us, Lord, but we would see an opportunity, Lord, for a revival, for much work to be done by you, Lord. I pray that, that we would be a people of prayer, Lord, that you would grow that in this church, Lord, that we wouldn't be fearful of of our ability to pray or communicate with you, Lord, that we would, Lord, exercise that, Lord, that we would, would be a unified body, Lord, that you can do amazing and powerful things through. Lord, I lift up the city of surprise, Lord, in this church, Lord. We, we pray that, Lord, not for our fame, Lord, but, but because of our obedience, Lord, that mighty work would be done here in this church and in this city, God, and that each and every person in this room, Lord, that we would all be a part of it, Lord, and get to see, Lord, your greatness as we are. We love you and thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, we are about 10 minutes early, so if you have a kid, um, just tell them it's my fault and be patient, but they should be done at 8 o'clock. So have a great night, and uh, we love you guys.